Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We are beginning today a new series. This, that was then, this is now, and it's um, going to be taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount. And um, kind of where we got the title for this was, was from the saints of Jesus. And, and to read through the Sermon on the Mount over and over again, there's this phrase that just keeps reoccurring. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And, and, and he was contrasting the difference between conventional wisdom, conventional spiritual wisdom, and what this new kingdom of God was all about. And, and I thought that probably a good way to start this would be uh, to maybe just do a little bit of a self-assessment this morning. So kind of take out uh, your notepaper, all right, and, and get a pen, pencil. Um, we're just going to go through five of these. And um, here's what I want you to do. Um, I'm going to read the that was then part. And I want you to kind of assess yourself, you know, and just real easy, just a plus or a minus. Yes, I'm doing good in this category, minus, no, I've really blown it in this category, okay? And that's all you got to do. And then I'll do, you know, but this is now part, and then you can do the same thing with that, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go through a couple of these that Jesus said. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, okay? Now, if you've never murdered anybody, give yourself a plus, okay? How are we doing so far? But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Okay, maybe we shouldn't put this down on paper. Okay, just think this to yourself, okay? (laughs) Second one, you have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ooh, yeah. Number three, you have heard it was said, do not break your oath. But I tell you, do not swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Number four, you have heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Plus or minus. Last one. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I'm not going to do a show of hands this morning, but I just kind of want to know. How many did, you know, most of us probably did pretty good on the first half of every one of those. Most of us probably did not do quite so good on the second half. A couple of weeks ago, and for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea of a gap. That there is a gap. There is a gap between the person God created me to be and the person that I currently am. There is a gap between the you God created you to be and the you you currently are. There is this gap. And, and after taking this test and, and, and kind of going through just a few of these things, just out of curiosity, how many would say you've actually realized the gap is wider than you thought it was. I want to encourage you this week and for the next four weeks as we go through this to sit down at least one day each week, but I'd encourage you to do it every day, and read through the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most powerful, life-impacting passage of Scripture you could possibly read. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. 
Just read that this week. Just, and it's straight through in one sitting. Just take an hour or so and just read right through. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the thing is, this is what will happen more than likely. You will more than likely come away with an immense sense of guilt. <laughs> frustration. And hopelessness. <laughs> because it will seem to you, this is more demanding, more intimidating, more overwhelming than the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments, you know, at least I could pretty much say, I'm keeping those. But this is far deeper. And what Jesus is doing is he's getting to the heart of the matter. And it's not his intent to crush us with, with unbearable guilt. But he, what he wants us to do in the sermon is help us understand the truth about our lives. To help us see life through a set of fresh eyes so that we could experience the love and the power and the truth and the grace and the blessings of God. You read it and you might say, well, where does grace fit into all of this? Well, what Jesus is doing here, he is saying to his followers, there is a good life. There is a better life. There is a new life available to you. There is a new life beginning with a new you. And it starts here and now, and it carries right into eternity. And then he goes through this whole thing. He's helping us understand this is what life in the kingdom looks like. This is the kind of life transformation God wants to bring about in your life. This is the new you that he's bringing about. Slowly and steadily, but he is bringing it about. And, and instead of feeling guilty and overwhelmed by all of this, he says, understand this is good news. In fact, he begins the sermon. Every time, you know, if you've never done a sermon before, you always work really, really hard on your introduction, okay? How'd I do this morning? Nah, this one. Because if you lose people in the first five minutes, you've lost them for the next half hour, okay? So the introduction is really, really important. This is how Jesus begins the sermon. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's how he begins his sermon. He says, understand what I'm about to tell you here. This is life-changing stuff. That God wants to bless you. God wants to bridge every one of those gaps in your life. He wants to fill all of those valleys in your He wants to transform your life. He wants to give you a new life. And he begins this whole sermon with those words. Blessed are you. 
Blessed are you. And what he is telling his followers, first of all, is that you, you have a place in the kingdom of God. God wants to bless you. God's kingdom isn't an exclusive society. And I think a lot of times that's what people think about it. I think it's like a gated community. And it's gated to keep the riffraff out. And a lot of people think things like, that God stuff isn't for me. For whatever reason, I'm disqualified or I have no interest or whatever it is. There's a lot of people say, you know, that God stuff, that's fine for you, but that's not for me. I, I, I hear this often, often. I'll invite someone to come and visit and, and attend our church and come, and come be a part of what we do on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. And, and a lot of times I get this answer. Maybe you've gotten this one. If I showed up at your church, the walls would cave in. You've all heard it. You've all heard it. And, and the reason for that is, is because everybody has this sense that it's all on the merit system. It's all on the merit. And that's what we're taught all of our lives. It's all about meriting. You earn points. You earn rewards. You get the prize if you're good. I mean, when you're in school, you get grades on your tests and on your papers. And they mark all the wrong ones. And if you've got too many wrong ones, you fail the test. At home, at home, when you're growing up, when you do wrong, what happens? You get punished. How do you get reward? How do you get dessert? If you eat all your dinner, particularly the peas. You've got to eat the peas, you know? You've got to eat the bad stuff before you get the good stuff. Even Santa Claus. Even Santa Claus. We are polluting the minds of our kids. The only way you get a gift from Santa is, have you been a good boy or girl? Yeah. It is ingrained in us that only if you are good do you get the good stuff. And Jesus comes along and he says, you're blessed. The good stuff is for everybody. And it's really, really crucial that we understand this because this sets the tone for the whole message. It is crucial that we understand what is Jesus' message and who is he speaking to? Because he is not speaking to the religious elite. He is not speaking to the theological scholars. He is speaking to the riffraff. That's the people that he's talking to. Who is it that is in the audience? The successful, the prosperous, the, the well-to-do, the educated, the people who have good children who they send to those prestigious universities? No, not so much. He speaks to the everyday common person. And what is the first word? What is the first word of his sermon? Not a hard one. Blessed. Blessed. That's, that's the first word of his sermon. There is a blessing from God. There is, there is a good life from God. And, and, and that's a really tough word, by the way, to translate. Because, and some translations have it, you know, happy are you, happy are those. And, and happy just really doesn't capture the essence of it. Because it's more than happiness, although it includes a sense of contented happiness. And it's not just joy. It is this sense of, of being in the right place at the right time. And being approved and accepted by God. It's a really incredible word. And, and you say, well, I'm blessed. What does that mean? It means you stand in right relationship with God. Things are good between you and God. The God pronounces his blessing on those who are the least likely. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are the spiritual zeros, who have no understanding of God, 
who have no thought that this could possibly be for them, who have no credentials and no qualifications, you are blessed. You are blessed. And what he is doing is he's pronouncing a blessing on those who are least likely to receive it. And what he is doing is he is throwing the gates wide open to the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are the spiritual zeros of this world who have no credentials, who have no education, who have no understanding, who don't think there is possibly a right place with them before God. He says, blessed are you because the kingdom, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He is throwing the gates wide open to everyone. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. All you got to do is be hungry enough to sit down and eat. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to provide, you know, pass certain tests. You get in if you're just hungry enough to eat of this. And if you look at the group of people that Jesus gathered around him, you see he lived and practiced what he preached. Because even in the 12, the closest of, among his disciples, even in that group of 12 that he kind of handpicked, you look at that group and they are a ragtag bunch of nobodies. And they are people from all different types of society and culture. And they are, in some cases, extreme enemies. In fact, the writer of this gospel, Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. The tax collectors were considered to be not only collaborators, but actual partners and extenders of the Roman Empire. They were hated by a lot of people. And, they, and Matthew was one of Jesus' followers. He's one of the hand-picked 12. This tax collector, this 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 pawn of the Roman Empire. And on the other extreme, there's another guy in this group of 12 called Simon the Zealot. You know who the Zealots were? The Zealots were those who were trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. They wanted nothing to do with Rome. They refused to pay their taxes. And here in this group of 12, Jesus has picked a tax collector and guy who's a tax scofflaw, <laughs> or worse. It couldn't be. You think these guys got along? Not to begin with. But Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of God. It's wide open. This is a brand new concept. This is absolutely revolutionary. Now, this might seem, well, yeah, okay, to us, but to his original hearers, this is like unheard of. And particularly when he talks about the down and outers. Because, you see, conventional wisdom in Jesus' time was success and wealth and prosperity. Those were the blessings of God. That's why you remember the story of Job? A man who was so blessed and prosperous and loses everything, and everybody thinks something must be wrong between you and God because this kind of stuff doesn't happen to people who are right with God. That's conventional wisdom. If you are prosperous, if you are wealthy, if your things are going well in your life, that is the hand of the blessing of God. That is the proof that God has put his stamp of approval on your life. And then Jesus comes and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who suffer the hurts of this world. Those who struggle and sob and cry and grieve. They're blessed by God. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Those who aren't strong enough to stand up for themselves. The intimidated. Those who just... Go along to get along. Blessed are them because they will inherit the earth. Frederick Nietzsche, a number of years ago, wrote a book called The Antichrist. Nietzsche was the, the, kind of the author of the God is Dead movement. 
And, and he wrote this book as a slam on Christianity. And he, he said, this, this Christianity, this Christian stuff, this Jesus Christ, this is a religion for the weak and the feeble-minded. This is a religion for those who can't aspire to anything great in their lives. This is for the down-and-outers. And Jesus says, yeah, <laughs> you're right. You are right. That's exactly it. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. He is pronouncing blessing on people that have never heard the blessing of God in their life. Dallas Willard has written a book called The Divine Conspiracy. Excellent book on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we ordered them. They will be in our resource center, but not today. Um, shipment didn't come in time. But let's just, this is a condensed version of what Dallas Willard says about the Beatitudes. He says the key to understanding the Beatitudes is that they clarify Jesus' fundamental message, the free availability of God's rule and righteousness. The religious system of his day left multitudes out, but Jesus welcomed them all into his kingdom. The spiritually bankrupt are deprived. Those who mourn, men and women whose mates have deserted them, leaving them paralyzed by rejection. A parent with gut-wrenching grief and depression over the death of their little daughter. People who have lost their careers or businesses or life savings because of an economic downturn. As they see the kingdom of Jesus enter it, live in it, they find comfort and their tears turn to laughter. Blessed are the meek. These are the shy ones, the intimidated, the mild, the unassertive. If anything goes wrong around them, they automatically feel it must have something to do with them. But the kingdom of heaven enfolds them. The whole earth is theirs and their fathers as they need it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Perhaps they failed so badly that night and day they cringe before their own sin and inwardly scream to be made pure. Or it may be they've been severely wronged. And they're consumed with a longing to see the injury set right. The kingdom has a chemistry to transform even the past and make the terrible, irretrievable losses that human beings experience seem insignificant to the goodness and greatness of God. The merciful are there also. The worldly wise, of course, say, Woe to the merciful, for they will be taken advantage of. Yet outside human order, under the great profusion of heaven's goodness, they themselves find mercy to meet their needs. The pure in heart, the ones whom, for whom nothing is good enough, not even themselves. They are the perfectionists. In religion, they certainly find errors in your doctrine, your practice, uh, and probably your heart and attitude. How miserable they are. Yet, yet the kingdom is even open to them. And there at last they will find something that satisfies their heart. They will see God. And when they do, they will find what they have been longing for. The peacemakers are here too. They make the list because outside the kingdom, they are as often said, called everything but a child of God. That's because they're always in the middle. Neither side trusts you because they know you're trying to look at it from both sides. You can't possibly be on their side. And finally, we see those insulted, persecuted, and lied about because they've gone off their rocker and taken up with that Jesus. Yet Jesus says, jump for joy. When this happens from the knowledge that even now you have a great and imperishable reward in God's world. That's the message. That God wants to bless you. That God welcomes everyone. 
Groucho Marx used to say, I would never join a club that would accept me as a member. <laughs> but that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. That's what Jesus is proclaiming. When I was growing up and we learned the Beatitudes, we learned them as the Beatitudes. You know, anybody else hear this growing up in Sunday school? You know, the in other words, these are the attitudes that you need to cultivate. If you want to obtain the blessings of God, this is the kind of person you need to be. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is just simply God's grace at work that he freely gives. And it's not an instruction book on how to obtain God's blessing. It is a declaration of this is how God blesses. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like one of those spiritual zeros. It can't be for me. You don't know my past. I've made so many mistakes. My life is such a mess right now. It cannot possibly be for me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And let me ask others. Maybe you can think of the spiritual zeros in your life. The people that you think they, there's no way in the world they're going to end up in God's kingdom. They are so far from God's kingdom, I won't even bother talking to them about it. Who are those people in your life? Because quite honestly, I have those thoughts sometimes too. Jesus is saying, nobody's written off. Nobody's beyond hope. Nobody's beyond the possibility of God's blessing. It is an act of His grace here and now for anyone, anyone who will simply take it. And because of that, he goes on, he says, now not only do you have a place in God's kingdom, but now God has strategically placed you in this world. That there's a reason why you are, are where you are. That there's a purpose behind it. That God has set apart little pockets of his kingdom all around this world. Little clusters of his kingdom here and there throughout society, throughout our culture. You are one of those. You are one of those little pockets of God's blessing distributed out into the world. There is a reason why you are where you are. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. Now, this is really important because in the NIV translation, which is what I usually use, it just simply says, a city, city on a hill cannot be hidden. They leave out a really important word. It's in the New American Standard translation. It's the word set. And that's a really, really important word. Because what it means is put in place for a purpose. Divinely appointed. Destined for. And what he is saying is that when cities are built, they're not just haphazardly built. They are built in strategic places. They are built on a hill for safety and protection and availability. They're built along trade routes so those who are passing by can find them and find rest along the way. Cities are strategically positioned all over. And he says, you are one of those. You are strategically positioned. In fact, the word is used often throughout the New Testament, most often talking about God's divine appointment. It's used in 1 Corinthians 3 when it talks about the idea that there is no other foundation that has been laid. That's the word, laid, other than that of Jesus Christ. It's a cornerstone. And what he is saying is each and every one of us, each and every one of us are strategically placed. And it's important that we understand that. It's important to understand who we are and where we are. And it's important that we take that stand and we let people know about our faith. 
It's one of the reasons, by the way, baptism is so important because baptism, baptism is when you stand and publicly declare, I am identifying myself with Jesus Christ. I'm identifying myself with his kingdom. I am identifying myself with his people and his purposes and his work in this world. Because Jesus says, that's what you are. No one, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under, that's the same put, puts it under a basket. No, what do they do? They put it up on its stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house. A lamp is strategically placed. Now, they didn't have electric lights back then. You didn't walk in the room, flip a switch, and you got light. It didn't happen that way. These were oil lamps, very, very small, and they had a wick, and they had to be tended. They had to be trimmed. And when you lit a lamp, you placed it in such a way that it would give as much possible light where it was to as many possible people in that house. It was strategically placed. And that's what Jesus is saying. Your life now is strategically placed. This life of blessing, this blessed life that God has blessed you with, he has now taken that and put you somewhere where it can do the most good. That your life is not random, your life is not accidental. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking, that, that's not me. Not me. My life is totally accidental. In fact, I'm not even where I want to be. I wanted this other job, but I didn't get it, and I had to settle for this one. Or this isn't the college I wanted to really get into. I had other plans for my life, but this is where I got stuck. I don't want to live where I'm living. I don't like my neighborhood around me. I wish I was wearing... You are not an accident. You are strategically placed on that job, in that college, on that cul-de-sac. You are placed there. According to Jesus, you are strategically situated. You are in your family to be a light. You are in your job to be a light. You are in your neighborhood to be a light. And I know a lot of us say, no, I can't be because, you know, I just, I don't feel like I'm all that strategically placed. I bet if we went around this room, every one of us, Every one of us in this room would say, the reason that I am here today is because somebody, somebody entered my life. A friend, a family member, a co-worker, a fellow student, somebody, somebody entered my life. And it changed mine. Because of them, I am here today. Because of them, I am a part of the kingdom of God. Somebody answered. And if you'd ask that other person, they said, I didn't do all that much. You know, I just happened to, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. No. God strategically placed you there. And that's what he's saying. You are where you are for a purpose. And the purpose is to give light. And sometimes I have conversations with people and I talk to them about the faith. And usually people don't reject Christianity because they've made a thorough search and a theological study and come to the conclusion it's not believable. Usually, usually people reject the faith because of the experience with other believers. You have conversations with people. They say, you know, I had a neighbor. Yeah, he was a Christian. Yeah, he had the fish sticker on his bumper. He went to church Sunday and Wednesday night. He was always at church. He was the meanest neighbor I ever had. He was the rudest, most stuck-up, judgmental person I ever met in my life. Oh, yeah, I did business with one of those Christian guys. Yeah, he had the fish on his yellow pages ad. Yeah, and when it came down to finalizing the deal, he ripped me off. If that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with that. Do you understand that if we fail to make the connection 
between being light where we live. That's the message we give out. Because it's not just about gathering together on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or a Wednesday night. It's about living the light in this world because God has placed you exactly where he has placed you. Now, just imagine, just imagine for a moment, if every one of us in this room this week went out into our lives this week and in every conversation and in every contact and in every situation we found ourselves, we would embrace this thought, I am light. I am light. Right here where I am, I am light. Just think, just imagine, just for a moment, if everyone in this room if we all did that this week, every day, in every encounter, if we just went into that office building saying, I am light here today. I'm here to be light. I'm in this classroom to be light. I coach this little league team to be light. <laughs> I'm in this yacht club. I'm on this golf course to be light. Just imagine. Just imagine if we understood how much God has placed us strategically in this world. And not only that, because there's one more thing, and it goes right along with all of that, that in that place, you have an influence on those around you. You are the salt of the earth. You have been blessed to be a blessing. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, salt is a very important and valuable commodity, especially in Jesus' day. You know, we have table salt, and we just put a little salt on our food and, you know, give it a little more tang, a little more taste. Salt was far more powerful, far more necessary, and far more valuable back in Jesus' day because there was no refrigeration. There was no way of keeping things from rotting. The only way you keep things from rotting was you rubbed salt on them. You know, you, you, the salt was the only preservative to decay, the only preservative that kept from rot. And you can look around in this world, and you can see there is decay. And there is rot, and there is sin, and there is deceit, and there is abuse, and there is fraud, and there is corruption. It's a world that we live in, and it's not in far-off places. It's right in our neighborhoods. And Jesus says, you are where you are to have a preserving influence. Do not, do not, do not let it go to waste. If salt loses its saltiness, he said, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now understand something else here because they, these people understand what Jesus is talking about. Because like I said, they didn't have table salt. You know, they didn't have this nice little jar or little, you know, vase and they take out the salt as they needed it. They didn't have salt in that form. Mostly where they got their salt was from salt marshes. And what they would do is they would go and they would gather up um, pieces of driftwood or reeds or plants that had grown up or had been soaking in this salty water, the salt marsh. And that was the source of salt. And they would use that and rub that on the meat to preserve it. That's where they got the salt. They didn't just take it out of a shaker. And so there was a chance. Because you say, how does salt lose its saltiness? Well, that's what he's talking about. That all the salt has been rubbed out, but it's never been preserved. And now this is useless stuff. Throw it out on the path, let people walk on it. He says, don't miss your opportunity. See, this is the hinge point of the message. Jesus has pronounced all of these blessings, and he says, now this is the hinge point, because everything else that I'm going to talk about comes on this. You are light. You are salt. Do not lose your saltiness. Do not 
lose your light. Instead, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the hinge point of the message. Everything he talks about from here on out is going to be what that looks like, what that means. And we're going to be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. But here's the deal. This is what Jesus is doing. Because remember, the people that are gathered around him, this is this ragtag group of riffraff. You know, these are the uneducated. These are the just the ordinary, everyday people. These are people with no influence, no financial backing, no, no military power, no, no anything. They're, they're the nobodies of the world. And Jesus says, you are light and you are salt. And they look around at each other and say, who are you talking to? <laughs> we're nobodies. We're going to change the world? We got no political clout anywhere. We, uh, we, we, we've got no financial back. We got nothing. How in the world are we going to do this? Jesus said, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to do this. We're going to love our enemies. We're going to pray for those who persecute us. This is how we're going to change the world. We're going to forgive. In a world where forgiveness is not given out freely, we will forgive. And we will uphold and honor our word. We will live with integrity. And when we say something, we will mean it. And the world will see there's something different. And we will carry out our marriage vows. We will not toss our relationships aside like a piece of used clothing. We will truly, truly love. And when we're forced to do something we don't really want to do, we will go the extra mile. And you know, I was recently reading an article, Newsweek, talking about the decline of, of, and fall and decline of, of Christianity in America. And the article was just about losing all the political clout. And I got to tell you, folks, I think that's a good thing. I'll be honest with you. Because Jesus didn't say, this is how we're going to change the world. We're going to form a, a, a political action committee. <laughs> we're going to go lobby in Washington. No. He said, we're going to love. We're going to forgive. We're going to honor our vows. We're going to stand for something. We're going to keep our promises. We're going to go the extra mile. And you know what? You know what? It works. <laughs> it works. Because here we are 2,000 years later, and it is still changing the world. And you don't need political clout. And you don't need financial backing. And you don't need military power. And you don't need people in high places. All you need to do is live this life of blessing. <laughs> because that's where it's at. And if we will embrace that thought, we will change the world. It has worked for 2,000 years and it will continue to work in that way because it's the way Jesus designed it to happen. You are salt. You are light. You are blessed to be a blessing. Would you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.